Well, the word draw your attention to, once again, are found in the book of Colossians. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 this morning. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Please pray with me once more. Lord, again, we we begin our time in looking at Your Word with prayer because we know that apart from You, we can do nothing. Lord, to, to, to understand Your Word, and not just to understand it, but to have our hearts transformed by it, to have our mind renewed by it, we need Your grace. We are completely the new for any element of spiritual growth. And God, we want to grow. We want to be strong in the Word. Lord, we want to be strong in our faith. And we're discouraged because we acknowledge we are so weak and we are not as strong as we would like to be. And so we pray that You would work in a particularly powerful way this morning to strengthen us, to be the people that You've called us to be. Lord, you know the various needs of our body. You know the trials. You know the heartaches. Lord, you know the temptations. And I pray that you would use your word in in the miraculous way that you do to meet those needs. Lord, that we would all depart from our time of worship this morning stronger and more joyful in light of just being reminded of who you are. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you have probably heard the, the uh, idiom, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. That meteorological rhyme was actually developed by sailors uh, who recognized that often when they saw a red sky, a storm would quickly follow. And that what they were observing was dry, dusty air that was getting pushed by a, an easterly wind, which meant that uh, a storm was actually coming from the west. And so over time, they realized, you see a red sky, that's a sign that a storm is brewing. And it was to this phenomenon that, that Jesus actually directed his opponents who asked for a sign from him. He said, when it's evening, you say, It'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. His point was, is that if you're able to read the signs in the weather system, then you should be able to read the signs of the spiritual weather as well. And it was in this vein that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, which we read earlier, that in the last days, there would be times of difficulty for people would be 
lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now, as you read that list, I, I doubt any of you are surprised by that list because that is precisely what we see as we just look around us. I mean, this, that's the air that we breathe. That's the world that we live in in 21st century America. And so what Paul describes as the last days has become our reality, which would suggest that the spiritual weather of our own day is not likely to improve. And so now is the time to prepare for the coming spiritual storm that is heading our way. Paul was seeking to prepare the Colossian Christians for the spiritual storms that they were going to face when he penned this letter almost 2,000 years ago. And as you know, he, he wrote this letter out of concern that false teaching was starting to make infiltration into, into some of the people's lives. He had heard from Epaphras and some of the other leaders that these teachings were out there and some of the Christians, they were confused, particularly regarding the person and work of Christ. And so he writes this letter in order to strengthen them and to prepare them to know how to deal with such false teachings. And so far in the book of Colossians, we've examined, first of all, Paul's prayer in verses 3 through 14. And then in verses 15 through 23, that last section, Paul explained what he understood to be his responsibilities to the church. And he gave an extensive description of his uh, aims in ministry, his philosophy of ministry, so to speak. And now here in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2, he turns to the church and he says, you've already heard now what my responsibility is, as it's been given fr- to me from the Lord. Now here is your responsibility. You've heard what I've been called to do. Now this is what you've been called to do. And what he outlines for us is particularly three responsibilities that we would walk in Christ, that we would grow in Christ, and that we would guard our devotion to Christ. That we'd walk in Christ, grow in Christ, and guard our devotion to Christ. Look, first of all, at his call to walk in Christ in verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. That word receive just simply refers to receiving instruction. You've you've heard about Christ. You've heard about what he has done. You've received him. You've believed the gospel. You've become born again. But now, having received Christ, continue to walk in him. What you have heard in the beginning was true. And now, know that you just need to continue to hold fast to that truth. Don't be swayed from it. Walk, continue to walk according to that truth. That, that word walk, as you see there, it, it just simply refers to how a person lives their life. In the Bible, it, it refers to how to behave like a Christian. How does a Christian live? 
To walk in Christ means to, to live in a manner that is in continuity with Him, with the way He thinks, with what He loves, with what He desires. If a person were to examine your life, would they say that person walks with Christ because their decisions, their priorities just seem to be right in line with Jesus's. It means to be united in purpose and intent. And, and this, is, this is often why the, the Christian life, even in Scripture, is depicted as a pilgrimage. It's as after we've been born again, we're on a journey to our final destination to, to fully worship God. And we know we won't finally do that until we receive our resurrected body. We, we will, until that time continues to struggle, we'll be tempted, we will fail. But in that journey, we're not alone. The point is, we, he, we're called to walk with Christ. He's with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And He wants us to walk in line with Him, in line with His priorities. And He's given us His Word to know what His priorities are, what, what, what that path should look like. How do we know if we're walking with Christ? We know if we're walking according to His Word. And so if we're going to finish well, we need to live lives that correspond to both his example and what he's revealed to us in the Bible. And to not do so, if we don't walk according to his word, we're going to wander off the path and into briars and brambles, into places that uh, John Bunyan described in Pilgrim's Progress as like bypath meadow that led to the city of destruction or Doubting Castle, the slough of despond, the hill of difficulty. And so God has given us his word that we don't make trouble for ourselves by ignoring it. He gives it to us so that we might have guidance, that we might know his will. And we really, we don't need anything more than Christ and his word. As we, as we saw even last week, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are contained in it. As, as Peter said, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We, we don't need anything else to know how to live the life that God has designed us to live. There's no secret knowledge out there. There's no, there's no absence of wisdom that's not revealed in the word of God that you need to know. It contains everything you need to follow Christ. And, and we need to be reminded that. That may seem obvious, but we need to remi- be reminded that all we need is contained in the Scriptures because Christians regularly are tempted to think that they need to know more. I'll just give some examples of, of how this desire or this temptation to think that there's, they're lacking some sort of wisdom and knowledge actually leads Christians astray. For instance, some people believe if they, if they really knew what was going on politically in our nation, in Congress, in the newspapers, they really knew what was, who was pulling the strings in international politics, then they would know how to prepare. Then they'd know how not to get duped. And so they get drawn into conspiracy theories. And these can be interesting, and they probably do hold some sort of truth, but rarely can a person do anything about whoever's pulling the strings in politics. And moreover, 
even if they could, it doesn't change what they're still called to do as a Christian. And usually these things are only just distractions away from Christ's things, things to obsess over that get us to ignore what Christ has revealed. It fuels fear and paranoia and often even pride. Other people fall into interest in the occult and witchcraft, thinking, well, if I knew how demons worked, if I knew how Satan worked, then I could better prepare myself for his onslaughts. And then they get drawn away into to speculations and even dangerous, wicked things. Others think they need to understand all religions, that they can't rightfully have confidence in the Bible unless they understand what the Quran teaches and the Bhagavad Gita or Taoism or what any other religion that they need to be an expert in all in order to be confident that what the Bible says is true. Others assume that true wisdom and knowledge is found in studying the church fathers because they're so old and closer in time with Christ. If they knew everything that the church fathers taught, then they could really believe the scriptures. But the truth is all anybody ever needed to know Anybody ever needed to know in order to walk with Christ, in order to remain in him, is revealed in the Bible. This really is all that you need. And this is what Paul wants the Colossians to be convinced of. He wants them to walk with Christ and be convinced that this has given them all they need to do so. Secondly, he wants them to grow in Christ. Look at verse 7. He says, Rooted and build up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This verse really explains what it looks like to grow as a Christian. As we saw in uh, verse one, chapter one, verse 28, that Paul's aim is that we would all grow into maturity in Christ. Well, this is what this looks like. And Paul explains it with four participles. Being rooted built up, established, and abounding. And again, all these participles refer to spiritual growth in Christ. That first participle, rooted, is unique in comparison to the others because it's, it's in the perfect tense. It's something that's already done, in other words. All the others are actually present tense participles. The Colossians have already been rooted in Christ. They were rooted in Christ when they first heard the gospel. When, when the seed of faith sprouted and it began to extend its roots down into the truth. And having heard the gospel, now they need to just remain rooted in what they know to be true. Speaking of roots, have you ever seen newscasts or, or pictures of hurricanes. It seems like in every picture of a hurricane, there's always in the background this palm tree that's getting pummeled by the wind. And you always see palm trees getting beat up in hurricanes. But you don't see, at least I haven't seen, any palm trees that have been uprooted. And that's partly due to the fact that they have a strong root structure. A, a root ball is what it's called. Even young, small palm trees can handle the storms that they weather because of their roots. And likewise, what enables a Christian to endure the storms of life that come against them, what keeps them from being led astray by various false teachings, is having their faith firmly rooted in Christ. They know who Christ is. That He's the Son of God. That He's fully God and fully man. 
that he is the word made flesh. And they're convinced in what he did on their behalf. That it was in his death alone that they, ha- they received forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. But if a person's confidence is in other things, rather than in the person and work of Christ, they'll be led astray. They'll be uprooted. Right? Our confidence can be in a lot of other things. It could be in our finances. It could be in what people think of us. It could be in our intellect, how much we know. And Satan knows that about us. He knows how to exploit those things. And so he knows how to shake us. He can't shake who Christ is. He can't shake what Christ has done. But he can take away your finances. He can cause you to lose things that you love, whether that's things or people or positions. But if you're rooted and grounded in Christ, you're solid. And so Paul says, be rooted and grounded in Christ. So you don't fall away like Demas or Judas. So to be rooted in Christ means to have a firm confidence in him and in the revelation of his word. The second participle, participle explains what it means to be to walk in Christ. And that's to be built up. So after being rooted, we are to be built up. And so think of like a, a building that gets built up as you see buildings in Portland grow upward as concrete is laid and steel is laid, we are to grow up in Christ. And this, of course, is our goal, to grow in understanding the Bible, to under, and what it looks like to be a Christian, to, to grow in our knowledge and wisdom and discernment. And the second, the third word that follows that is to be established. So, be established could could also be translated as to be strengthened. So just as we're supposed to grow, as we grow, we need to be strengthened. Right? Just as infants, when they're born, they grow rapidly, super fast, and yet they're still relatively weak. Or you can even take teenagers. They, are, they grow rapidly over the course of a few months or, or years, but that doesn't mean they're strong. Right? We usually don't have our muscles fully developed until we get into our 20s. So spiritually speaking, the same thing is true. A person can come to Christ and go rapidly and at the same time be spiritually weak. And so Paul's saying you need to grow, grow like nobody's business. But as you grow, make sure you're being strengthened. Like, again, if we're not being strengthened... When these tests come, we'll wilt. I think of the parable of the sower. Right? Two, of the, two of those seeds looked so promising. And yet, they got choked out by weeds because it was on the rocky soil. It didn't sprout like it should have. It, looked, it started well, but because it wasn't strong, it didn't last. Likewise, there's a lot of believers. Again, they, they start well. I should say so-called believers. They look like they're going to follow Christ and they're going to endure. But then when the storms of life hit, they lose a loved one. Or they're rejected by their friends. They weren't expecting that. They're, they're challenged by some false teacher in the university. And they're not sure if they can believe the Bible. And eventually they fall away. And it is this failure to be strengthened 
following initial spiritual growth that the author of Hebrews wrote to the Hebrews when he writes in Hebrews 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice distinguish good from evil. His point is, you've been, or you've been believers long enough that now you should be having your faith strengthened. You should be strong and mighty in the word of God. But you're not. You're still babies. And all you can handle is just reminders of the basic truths of Christianity. Reminders of the gospel. Reminders of what it means to be saved. Reminders of who God is. But you need to be strong. That's what he's saying. So how do we assess progress in our spiritual growth? How do we know how strong we are, spiritually speaking? We'll just consider what are the patterns, if any, of giving into temptation in your life? Are there certain sins that you frequently fall prey to and you, you haven't been able to make any progress in? What about the fruit of the Spirit? If, if, if somebody were to see you outside of church, would they say, clearly, this person's dominated by Christ. They're walking in accord with the Spirit. They're a person that I would easily define as being caring, loving, joyful, patient. Are you able to accurately discern the will of God? Romans 12. We need to have our minds renewed so that we would be able to discern that which is good and acceptable and perfect, that we know God's will for us. Like when it comes to a decision that needs to be made, are you confused on what God would have you do? Or do you know the Bible well enough that you know what his priorities are? Or do you still just make decisions based upon, frankly, what you want? What interests you? Your ambitions, your desires. Are you able to see lies and false teachings and deceitful philosophies. I think most Christians can kind of sense, okay, something's not right here. That's just the, the mercy of the Spirit. But can you see what it is? Can you see that what this person is teaching, what this advertisement is promoting, what this university professor is saying, can you see what's wrong and why it doesn't line up with the Word of God? Or do you just go, well, I don't believe that. To be strong in the faith means not only do you realize it's wrong, but you're able to show other people why it's wrong. People need to see that. In order for you to gain trust with unbelievers, they need to see not only uh, do you believe the Word of God, you understand the Word of God, and you're not, just, you're not just believing this because it's what you want to believe, but it's because that's what you've been told from the Word. So just consider... How spiritually strong are you? Also think about the other members of your family. What about your, your wife and your husband? How would you describe their spiritual strength? Your children. What can you be doing to see them spiritually strengthened so they don't fall away? Because it's remarkable how, how many Christians will spend more time caring for their physical bodies, strengthening their physical bodies, making them presentable than they will be strengthening 
their souls. In fact, they may spend more time caring for the, 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 the physical needs of their family than they will for their spiritual needs. And so a good rule of thumb. You should spend as much time spiritually feeding your soul as you do spiritually feeding your body. Because your soul is far more precious. Now if you're, if you're, and again, sometimes people just eat real quick. Well, you can even, because you're at work, well, you can read the Bible while you're at work. Listen to a sermon while you're at work, maybe. As you're, on, as you're having your lunch, as you're on your commute. You can, there are things that you can do to make sure you're getting fed. Make sure that you're not neglecting your soul while caring for your body that will perish. I think as an example to follow, consider how Paul pursued being established in his faith. Look at with me just a couple uh, pages earlier in Philippians chapter 3. It's the previous book. Look at verse 13. This is what the Apostle Paul did in regard to his spiritual strengthening. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have had attained. Paul knew the dangers even he himself was up against. And that's why he did everything he could, straining forward. He didn't coast. So many Christians think once they get saved, they're born again, then all they need to do is coast. You will coast away from Christ. You have to be putting forth effort. You have to do everything you can, and not just for yourself. You need to be caring for your family. You need to be caring for one another in the church. We need to be growing strong. Fourthly, we, the fourth aspect of spiritual growth that Paul mentions is that we should be abounding in thanksgiving. And what's unique about this participle in comparison to the other three is that it's in the active voice, whereas the others are passive. The passive voice is something that's done to a person. Active is what the person does. So, whereas... Being rooted and built up and established are things done to us as we are exposed to the Word of God. The Word of God helps us to grow. It roots us, builds us up, and establishes us. Whereas giving thanks is something then we do. And, and it's not just giving thanks, Paul says, but abounding in thanksgiving. I mean, just, just think, what would a life abounding in thanksgiving looks like? I think it would, it would at least mean verbally giving thanks. But I think it means way more beyond that than just saying thank you. Abounding in thanksgiving is something that, that can't be coerced. It's something that a person does from the heart. It will be expressed in verbally saying thank you, but, but really it manifests a life of contentment. That a person recognizes that what they have they really don't deserve. And it happens when one's life is, is void of any sense of entitlement. 
either entitlement to how they should be treated or entitlement to possessions. They're just thankful. It's also reflected in a life that's void of grumbling and complaining. And it's also manifested in generosity because the most generous people are those who recognize what they do have isn't really theirs because they don't really deserve it. They're just thankful that they have anything. I mean, just think of the sinful woman in Luke chapter 6 when Jesus said she loved much because she realized how much she had been forgiven. She realized how much Christ loved her and therefore she loved him and showed that by wiping his feet with her tears. Mary also broke that expensive alabaster jar of perfume worth like a, a year's salary because she loved Christ. She realized what he was doing on her behalf. Naaman, the leprous Syrian general, offered two talents of gold to Elijah's servant Gehazi after being healed, even though Gehazi had only asked for one talent. This Syrian was so thankful for his healing, he was willing to go above and beyond because he realized he didn't deserve any of what he had because he should have been dead. Or consider the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8 who gave abundantly despite their extreme poverty. A life abounding in thanksgiving is therefore reflected not just in saying thank you, but in being generous and in, in, in being humble and content in all circumstances. A person who abounds in thanksgiving does so because they realize they don't deserve even what they have. And I find it remarkable that these four participles that express growth in Christ culminate in giving thanks. Like that's the tip. So if you think of, again, being rooted, built up, getting established, and then you have the top, which is the giving of thanks. Think of a, a plant, root. You have the shoot, which is being built up and established. And the fruit is giving thanks. So the culmination of what a mature believer looks like is one who is thankful. This is, this is important for us to realize because I think many people, when they, when they think of what a mature Christian looks like, they often think of just a, a person who's very serious and grave. Like the way H.L. Mencken descri described Puritanism. That there's this haunting fear that somebody somewhere may be happy. Right? He didn't understand Puritanism at all because they were anything but that. But that's how I think a lot of people think of mature Christians. But it's totally the opposite. Christians should be the most joyful, content, satisfied people on the earth. Because they don't presume they deserve anything. So if they get cut off, they're like, well, okay. If they don't get the promotion, they trust the Lord and His plan. Again, that doesn't mean they look over sin or they excuse sin. But they recognize that even being sinned against is nothing compared to what they actually deserve. And what they have been given far surpasses what they deserve. They're content with what the Lord apportions them. 
The third responsibility that Christians have besides walking with Christ and growing in Christ is we need to guard our devotion to Christ. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now that, that phrase, see to it, it's actually a pretty soft translation given the, the violence of the phrase that follows it. I think watch out or be on your guard better conveys Paul's sense. Because what he wants them to be alert to is to not be taken captive. In other words, well, literally what it says is don't be robbed. But he's not talking about your possessions being robbed. He's talking about you yourself. You yourself don't be robbed. Don't be taken captive. Don't be kidnapped. Taken into slavery. Paul wants the Colossians to be as vigilant as parents at a park where kidnappers are known to realm, to, to roam around. That they, they, they have their eyes out for the danger, recognizing they could be snatched away at any time. I remember watching films, actually when I was in kindergarten, um, of you know, basically teaching that, that you don't want to take candy from strangers. The car would pull up, window rolled down, and the kid would, you know, we'd learn to say no and run the other way. And I remember thinking, like, well, what's the big deal? You're missing out on some free candy. But now I know. Because that candy would come at a grave cost. Freedom. And likewise, a lot of people, a lot of Christians today think, what's the big deal if I watch this television show? Or go to this university, take this set of classes? What's the big deal if I start listening to this music? I mean, Paul knows. It's a big deal. Because these are the very things that cause people to be drawn away from Christ and to never come back. Brothers and sisters, look around this room. Seriously, look around this room. Almost everybody in this room knows somebody who once followed Christ and now has walked away. Or even still claims to follow Christ, but they totally rejected His Word. It, it breaks my heart. So much of the prayer requests that I get from you is pray for my kids, pray for my brother, pray for my parents. This is not a joke. You need to guard yourselves or you too will fall away from Christ. I, I don't know how to make it any more clear. Paul doesn't know how to make it any more clear. You need to guard yourself against empty philosophies. Don't be baited by false teachers. Now that phrase, empty, deceitful philosophy, it really just describes one singular thing. It's, the kind, it's, it's philosophy, it's teachings, which by nature are empty and deceitful. Any teaching that's not in accord with the Bible they need to be on guard against. In fact, Paul's verbiage here suggests he's not thinking of a particular philosophy. Gnosticism or the Judaizers. He's just saying this in general. Any philosophy that doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches, be on your guard against. 
It's a threat. Really, that means anything. Almost any television program, almost any song. These things are not neutral. He, he describes such false teachings with three phases. Look at this. According to human tradition, according to elemental spirits, and not according to Christ. <laughs> That's like the media. Look, let's look, first of all, at human tradition. That, that word tradition refers to a, a set of teachings. Think isms, like deism, Marxism, Judaism. Think ism rather than holiday traditions. Paul's not worried about you being carried away by putting up Christmas lights and Christmas trees and Easter eggs. He's, he's concerned about worldviews. For instance, in the New Testament, the word tradition was used to describe the teachings of the Pharisees who, um, based upon Scripture, developed teachings in order to guard the Scripture. But these teachings weren't, they were based upon the Scripture, but they weren't from the Scripture. In fact, they had actually created a whole new religion so that when Christ came, they rejected Him because Christ's way of living didn't line up with the new religion that they had created. An example of such modern traditions today would, would obviously include the cults, like Mormonism, and uh, Jehovah's Witness, false religions such as Islam or Hinduism. I would even include Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy because of their rejection of the authority of the Word and of a biblical view of salvation. But really, any philosophy or worldview could be included. Deism, modernism, existentialism, postmodernism, feminism, progressivism, deconstructionism, Marxism, liberationism. We can go on and on. And these, these isms just keep developing. Just go on Wikipedia and look up philosophy and you'll, you'll just... In fact, I'm sure it doesn't even have all of them. But what makes these philosophies appealing and seductive is that all of these philosophies have an element of truth in them. And it's that element of truth that we, that we grab onto. We say, yes, that's right, that's true. But then they develop things, the practices or beliefs that are contrary to other truths. And this is what Paul means when he says they're according to the elemental spirits. Often these philosophies are based on logical reasoning and observation, but they're not in line with Scripture. That, that phrase, elemental spirit, could be translated elementary teachings or elementary principles. It quite simply, just refers to the basic principles of every man-made religion. And if you were to distill every man-made religion, every man-made philosophy down to its core, at the very core, what they teach is the self-exaltation of man. This is how you can be made much of. This is how you can have an excuse to gain whatever you desire. This is how you can make people impressed. In fact, any teaching that at its core promotes self-exaltation is a trap. Even if it also promotes Jesus Christ. 
if at its core, what it's getting at is this exaltation of self, even if it talks about Christ, it's a trap. I mean, this is why for the reformers, the phrase soli deo glory was so important to them because it's God alone who deserves glory. God alone who should be exalted. In fact, I would say the five, all five solas of the Reformation are a good grid to think through as you come across various forms of philosophy or Christian traditions. And you want to know, is this preaching I'm hearing in line with the truth? Well, just think, does it teach that the scripture alone is the authority? Does it teach that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ's work alone? To the glory of God alone. Use that as a filter. Which brings us again to the third characteristic of these empty philosophies that we need to be aware of. That which is not in accordance with Christ. Again, this refers to anything that's not in line with what Christ has revealed in his teachings in the New Testament. Now, it it may seem obvious, but again... To say this, anything that's not in accordance with Christ, but again, people fall away from the church for such things all the time. I mean, a, a generation ago, people were, were drawn away by the emerging church because it lined up with postmodern philosophy. And they fell away from Christ. In, other, in the past few years, people have been drawn to critical race theory, which is really just a new form of Marxism, just repackaged. For the 21st century. Recently, deconstructionism has, has become popular with people who have been disillusioned with the authority of Scripture. And so they want, how can I still believe in Christ and yet reject what the Bible teaches? And so they deconstruct their faith and basically create a faith of their own. Satan will continue to develop new ideas and illusions Because he knows what appeals to our hurts. He knows what appeals to our ambitions. And he will will even throw in a little bit of Christ if he can eventually just get us to fall away. Which is why we need to be on our guard for ourselves and for others, right? 1 Peter 5.8 Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's prowling around. He wants you. He wants your wife. He wants your kids. These dangers are real. And really the only way, the only way to keep from being deceived by them is to have your faith firmly grounded in the Word of God. In the Gospel. Yes, in the Gospel. But beyond that, grow in your understanding. Be Built up in the faith. Be strengthened in the faith. And and having such confidence in what the Word of God reveals that you're abounding in thanksgiving. And so are you doing all that you can to prepare yourself and your kids and your spouses for this spiritual storm that's coming? Are you doing everything you can If you're not walking with Christ, growing in Christ, and guarding your relationship with Christ, when that spiritual storm comes, you will fall away. Again, walking in Christ means 
means to, to walk in line with him, having your, your thinking and priorities in line with his priorities. And to, to grow in Christ entails those four aspects of being rooted. Rooted means having firm confidence in the person and work of Christ, his truthfulness, the authority of his word. Being built up refers to, to growing in depth and breadth of knowledge. Do you understand what the Bible teaches about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, about the church, about end times? Can you defend your beliefs against false teachers who would contradict them? Do you know the purpose of each book of the, script, of the Bible? Do you know what they're arguing? Or is it just an obscure book? Do you see how it adds to your faith, what blessing it offers to other people, why it should be taught, why it should be preached? And not only are you continuing to learn, but you continue to grow in firm conviction of what you believe. Being strengthened. Like Apollos, can you say that you yourself are mighty in the Scriptures? Are you growing in your resistance to temptation and taking advantage of every opportunity you can to be strong in the Word of God? And is your life defined by contentment and joy? Or is it more defined by disappointment, complaining? These are the things that are what's going to enable us to guard ourselves from Satan's deceptions. They're going to keep us with Christ and prepare us for the coming storm. In 1928, over 2,000 people were killed in a hurricane in Lake Okeechobee. I can't even say it right. Okeechobee? Is that right? Somebody from Florida, I don't know. Lake Okeechobee, Florida. What's remarkable about this is 75% of those deaths were for people who were familiar with the hurricanes. But they were caught out in the open fields. And when the floodwaters came, they were, they were helpless and they were washed away into the Everglades. 75% were just farmers working in their fields. Despite the signs, they ignored them. We can't be so naive. If you are not walking with Christ and you aren't growing with Christ and you are not guarding vigilantly your devotion to Christ, you too will be swept away in the storm that's coming. Let's pray. Father, Help us to see what we can do better. Lord, we know your word is truth. And that you don't tell us these things because you want to give us fear. But rather you want us to be strong. You want us to be prepared. Lord, you know our life circumstances. You know the, the holes in our theology and our holes in the understanding of the Bible. And I pray that you would help us to see what we can do differently and help us as a church to know what we can provide differently. Lord, so that, that none of us would be ensnared and that if any of us is ensnared, be they 80 years old or 12, 
that we would have the wisdom to know how to address it through the Word so that they can become untangled and return to the safety and shelter of who You are. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.